We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I mean, again, my name is Daniel Norris. I am the campus pastor here in Spring Hill. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, man, I look forward to that day where I'll get to meet you face to face, get to know you. And I'm just thrilled and excited to be here with you this morning as we wrap up this series, A Call to Die, that we've been in for the last six weeks. This is week seven, and we're going to wrap this thing up. And I'm looking forward to just the time that we have to spend together this morning. So as we get ready to jump into this thing this morning, we're going to be talking about this, this thing called the value, the, the value that people place on certain things. Have you ever noticed some of the crazy things that people value, that people hold tightly to, that people care about, that people go all in and that, that are consumed by? I've never understood some of the things that people value. And let me give you an example, uh, artwork. I don't know, I'm sorry if you're in here this morning and you're an art connoisseur and you spend tons of money on pictures and paintings and sculptures and all of those things, but that's just not my game. That's, I, I, that's for those other people. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend to, to have all the lingo and the language and know what I'm actually, and, and act like I know what I'm talking about, because I don't. But I want to share with you a couple of things that I came across this week. Let me see, th there's this picture right here. This picture right here. I came across, and as I looked at this painting uh, by a guy named Jackson Pollock, I believe, and I may be wrong even on, that, on the name, but this painting here, when I looked at it, I thought, man, I can do that. In fact, I think that me and my six-year-old could do that out in the garage. But let me tell you something about this painting. While it may be very uh, abstract and cool and creative, and it's, it's a technique that they use called dripping and splattering, I'm sitting there looking at that going, I think I could pull that off because this painting here, number five, as it was labeled, I guess it's the fifth one that he did, but not, he may be creative here, but not creative on naming them. But number five right here sold for $140 million. Who has that kind of money to spend $140 million on a piece of canvas that somebody did this to? Now, let me show you the other one. Number 17A by the same artist is the second most expensive painting sold. That, that, that bad boy right there sold for $200 million. Yeah, you should be like, <laughs> I don't know, but I know I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to see some of you on Instagram over the next few weeks creating some of these things in your garage. Because if you could sell it for $140 million or $200 million, yeah, count me in. Sign me up for that. Me and my six-year-old will get after it, and we will tear it up, and we will create something like that. But let me show you. It's crazy about the things that people place their, the value in. I don't know who has that kind of money to spend $200 million on a painting, but all the power to them, right? Let me show you a real piece of work. This is a real piece of artwork right here. I don't know if you can see that. I'm going to maybe set it up right here so they can focus in on that. Now, this is artwork right here. 
This is something that I value uh, more than anything. It, it was a gift that was given to me by my wife and my two boys about a year and a half ago or so when I graduated, finally finished seminary. And at my graduation day, my wife had this framed, and um, it was my son Brock and my son Colton, and they drew these pictures, and they put this, these little their stories in their own words of who their daddy was and what their daddy was doing. And I don't know if you can see this, but this is real art. I mean, this has got like the old, the, the Baptist banners that hang from the wall <laughs> that say like John three sixteen. You got a big screen right there. Uh, you got this dude on stage with one spiked piece of hair sticking out. And then you've got the TV screen. And then this one over here, you've got the huge wooden cross on it. You've got the, the Bibles that are floating in the air. And, and then you've got a big old microphone in his hand and blonde spiky hair and a beard. And it says, Jesus died on the cross for everyone. And let me read you what they wrote, because they're not only artists, but they're also incredible authors. So I think I could sell this bad boy for a couple hundred mil or something like that. But check it out. Brock said, my daddy started seminary before I was born, and then he quit. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so he's not only an author and an artist, but a comedian as well. He said, when I got older, he started back up again so he could learn more about God. When you're in seminary, you have to stay up late at night and write papers so you can pass. That is true. It's all about passing. My daddy's job is, a pa is as a pastor, so he went to seminary so he could become a better pastor. I love that my daddy is sweet, kind, nice, loving. I'm so proud of my dad. That was Brock. Colton, my five-year-old at the time, said, My daddy worships Jesus. He is a pastor leader. He sits on his computer and does work and reads words. He helps people. Daddy graduated from preschool, high school, and now seminary. Oh, yeah, he also graduated from college. Daddy tells us stories at night before bedtime. I love Daddy because he picks me up, reads stories to me, kisses me, and puts Band-Aids on my boo-boos. Amen. <laughs> so that's real art right there. That is... Uh, that is one of those things that I value, that I treasure because of the, the thought that went into them, because of the people that wrote the words, the people that drew the pictures, and those are very near and dear to my heart. And that is one of those pieces that if the building was on fire, I'm going in to grab it because I'm running out of the building. I don't want to lose it. And so I don't know what it is that you value this morning. As I sit here and I talk about value and the things that mean the most to us, what is it that you value more than anything? I mean, for some of you, it may be a nice family heirloom that's been passed on from generation to generation, and now you have it, and you're holding on to it because it means so much to you because of the people that had it before you. It may be the wedding ring that you have that your spouse gave you a long time ago, and they're no longer with you. And so you hold on to that thing because of what it symbolizes and what it means. It has such great meaning to you. It may be a, a piece of artwork. It may be a, a piece of art like that or a letter or a card or a picture or something that someone gave you. I don't know what it is that you value, but here's what I do know this morning. Is the value you place on something is shown by what you'll give up for it. Let me say that again. The value that you place on something is shown by what you'll give up for it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship that we have already experienced in this place and the words that we have sang. God, I know that 
You are moving and working in this place. And so, God, I pray that over the next few moments, as we open up your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and our hearts would be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and who you are and what you have done for us. God, have your way in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up this morning to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to be camping out this morning. And as you go there, I want to share a couple of verses with you as we get ready to dive into this story. But Matthew 13 is an entire chapter filled with parables, short stories that Jesus told. A parable is this. It is a small story with big meaning, meaning he would use something in the area, something that the people were familiar with, and he would say, hey, this is like that. And he would go on to explain or tell them a story, and he would, and he would give them a story that maybe they could relate to. Let me share this, these words to you that Jesus, in the beginning of Matthew 13, as he's talking to the crowds, he's sharing the first few parables with the masses and the crowds that had been following him. And he shares these parables with these people. And then the disciples are sitting there wondering, like, why does he always talk in parables? Why does he always come up with some story? Why can't he just tell us the facts? But he, so they ask this question to Jesus, and they ask him why he's telling these things. And he says, listen, uh, he, he quotes some, some scripture from Isaiah. And here's what he said to them. He said, they, they, he, they asked him, why is it that you share these things? Why is it that you speak of these things in parables? And Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Their ears... With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. And then he goes into telling more parables. I want you to hear that this morning. We of all people are blessed because our eyes can see. We have the complete story in our hands. We see it from beginning to end. We are without excuse. We have heard the word and the gospel proclaimed week after week after week over the last several weeks. We have heard about the cost and the call and the rest and all of the things that it means to be a disciple. And so we are blessed because our eyes have seen. We are blessed because our ears have heard. And you should be blessed because your heart has been changed and transformed. And we see that happening week after week. And today is no different. My prayer for you as we jump into this parable is that your eyes would see the great treasure and the value of the kingdom of God, that you would see it for what it is, that you would hear it, and that your heart would be changed and transformed by the power of God's word this morning. So here's where we're going to be this morning. As you go into to Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, Jesus, he had talked to the crowds. He had told them many parables. 
And then he sent the crowds away. He kind of said, all right, we're done here. And he walks inside into his house with just his friends, just his disciples, and he begins to tell them a parable as well. And here's what he says in verse 44 to those in his circle. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. You see, we have two very similar stories making one distinct point. In the first story, a man randomly stumbles onto this treasure. Did you see that? It says that a man was just kind of hanging out in this field, and he kind of came across this treasure. Now, we don't know exactly what he's doing in this field. He could be out there working the field for the landowner, plowing up the field. He could be out there just kind of walking through, and he tripped over something, and he looked back and saw something sticking out of the ground, and he unearthed it or dug it up. He could be out there looking over his shoulder going, I've got to come over here and, uh, and bury something that's important and valuable to me to make sure no one else finds it or takes it from me. Honestly, he could even be out there trying to bury a body. We don't know. I know that's kind of morbid, but it happened, right? He was out there digging or, or looking around for some reason, and it says that he stumbled across this treasure, that he just found this incredible treasure that was priceless. And by the way, how many of you have, never, have, have ever wanted to find something like that? How many of you have ever watched movies uh, about finding treasure, whether it's Treasure Island or The Goonies or something like that, where you're like, dude, that would be awesome. National treasure, right? The, all the codes and the, the, the clues, and you go on this wild treasure hunt, and then all of a sudden you finally find it. I mean, all of us at one time or another have grown up watching movies and going, man, that would be incredible to go and find a, a treasure in the sea or a treasure that was hidden that no one else knew about. And now I've found it and it's all mine. There's times that my family and I, when we spend the summers in Florida with Lauren's family, we get to go to the beach for about a week every summer. It's a rough life. And um, I know you feel sorry for me, but we get to go and for a West Texas boy. It's It's awesome. And so we're, we're usually hanging out on the beach, doing our thing, you know, swimming, surfing, paddleboarding, you know, paddle boogieboarding, uh, building sandcastles, doing all of these incredible things. And it never fails. I always will be sitting there just having a great day. And I'll, I'll see this dude come walking by with his white shirt on, his big hat, sunscreen all over his face, his fanny pack on. And he's doing this with his headphones on. And he's, he's got that metal detector, and he's searching for something. And I look, and I'm like, man, that is so nerdy. And I'm sorry if that's you again, but that's just not my thing. And, and I'll never forget last summer, I'm sitting there thinking, man, there, I could find a lot better things to do with my time on the beach than to be walking around doing this and then digging up every little penny or coin or piece of metal that's washed up on shore. And I'm sitting there thinking these things to myself like, man, I could do so much more with my time than that. That's kind of nerdy. It's not my thing. And my son Colton, the six-year-old, goes, that is awesome, dude. We need to get one of those. <laughs> and, and I look at him, I'm like, dude, I have failed you as a parent. That is not cool. That is nerdy. We're not doing that. And then I read a story this week about a dude named Terry Herbert, a guy in Great Britain 
who was a nerdy Briton, got British guy, walking around his neighbor's backyard. I don't know why he was in his neighbor's backyard, but he's walking around in his neighbor's backyard with a metal detector, and he discovered $5 million worth of gold and silver. And nerdy or not, that is one rich nerd now. And I looked at that story and I was like, Colton is on to something. You know what my two boys are getting for Christmas this year? Some nerdy metal detectors. And we're going to find us about $5 million out on the beach this year. So in Jesus' day, finding treasure was a pretty common thing. You see, when you lived in that land and in that region of Palestine and that area, it was a land that was constantly ravaged by war and invading countries. And so the people in that region and that area, if they had anything of great value, anything that they treasured, any kind of priceless art like this right here, they would go out and they would dig a hole and they would bury it to protect it, to hide it, to keep it from those that might invade. They didn't have safety deposit boxes. They didn't have banks, secure banks like we have. They didn't have those big old safes that all of you have your rifles and guns in at home. They didn't have those things. They had the ground. And they would go out and they would bury their treasure. They would cover it up, hoping that when the people invaded their land, as they fled and ran for their lives, that there might be a day that they could come back and find that treasure You see, they would bury those things. And so as Jesus began to tell this story to his disciples about a man that stumbled across treasure, this would have been a common thing. These guys would have immediately went, oh man, this is going to be good. Like, let me lean in and listen, because this is one of the rare people that had actually found some treasure hidden on the land that they were working or hidden on the land that they owned, and this is going to be good. Like, we want to hear what Jesus has to say about the lucky dude that found the treasure, and so they jump into it, and as we, and they start to listen and lean in, and they hear what Jesus is saying, and then in this moment, in this part of the story, I know a lot of people get confused, because if you're, if you're paying attention there, it says that this guy, in verse 44, he, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, but check it out, and then covered it up. I know what you're thinking because I know what a lot of people have said to me before. Wait a minute, time out, hold on a minute. How in the world is Jesus telling a story where the main character in this story is a little bit shady? Here's what I mean by that. Like, you're, you're thinking to yourself, why did the dude find it and then cover it back up and act like, that he, like, act like he didn't see it? Act like he didn't find it. And then goes away and is like, sells everything that he has, comes back and buys the land from this guy so that he can get the treasure. I mean, that sounds a little bit fishy, sounds a little bit shady, sounds unethical, and many people get hung up right there. Many people read that and they go, wait a minute, hold on. I can't believe that Jesus would share a story where a guy does something unethical, where a guy does something that's not right. Let me tell you what really happens here. You see, according to Jewish rabbinic law, it said this, that if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. In other words, finders, keepers, losers, sorry about you, right? This is my treasure. I found it. It's mine. So here's what this guy actually operates above and beyond what the law said, doesn't he? Because he could have done what? He could have uncovered the treasure, found it, and been like, I'm out, right? But he doesn't do that. Y'all were waiting for me to trip right there, weren't you? I almost did. He doesn't do that. 
In that moment, he finds it. It's his by the law, according to the law. He could have taken it and just jetted. And he could have just went all the way to the bank laughing. But instead, he covers it back up. He runs away. He sells off everything that he has. And he comes back and pays the landowner for the land. And so he just goes above what the law required. And he does exceedingly more. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And then comes my favorite part in this story. Check it out right there at the end of that. It says, then in his what? In his joy... He goes and sells all that he has. Those three words, in his joy. You see, normally if you and I had to walk away from everything and give up everything that we own and everything that we have in order to get something, we would be devastated, right? If you had to leave here today and go and liquidate everything, I'm talking stocks, bonds, mutual funds, sell the car, sell the house, maybe a couple kids, I don't know. But if you had to get rid of everything you had in order to get something, you would be devastated. You would be torn. You would be ripped apart. But it says that this man, this man is elated with joy because the treasure that he has found, the treasure that he is gaining is worth so much more than what he's giving up. Don't miss that. What he found in the ground is worth more than everything else he's ever owned. He is, with joy, he's willing to part with everything else because the treasure that he has found is of immeasurable value. It is priceless. It is of great, great value. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. When someone finds the kingdom of God, when someone stumbles upon it, when someone finally sees it for what it is, it is like this treasure hidden in a field that is of immeasurable value that this person would walk away from everything else that they have in order to get this one thing. And then the second one is very similar to this. The second parable makes the same point, but with a few small distinctions. Starting in verse 45, it says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, this time, the one who discovers this treasure, that it is a pearl of great price, this amazing one-in-a-lifetime one type of pearl, that this dude is not your blue-collar, everyday, ordinary guy that's work plowing a field. This guy is a wealthy merchant. This guy has been in the business of wholesaling jewels, fine jewels at that, all of his life. He's always searching for the next one, the better one, the biggest one, the most valuable one, that rare gem that will change his life forever. You see, pearls back then were the most valuable jewel that a person could have. It's the most valuable jewel in the ancient world. It's what we would equate diamonds to these days. Massive diamonds of great value. That is what pearls were back then. The reason they were so valuable back then was because of what it took to get them. You see, they didn't have all the, the diving gear and the, the snorkeling gear and all of the stuff that we have in order to go to the great depths to get those pearls. Those guys would simply grab a rock, tie it around their waist, and just jump in and hope that they could hold their breath long enough to make it back to the top. You see, the, they were so valuable because of the price that was paid 
in order to get them. You see, back then it was said that Cleopatra's fortune was wrapped up in two pearls. Two pearls worth over $40 million to this day, in this day and age. That's a lot of money in two pearls. In fact, Roman emperors back then would take pearls, and in order to demonstrate how wealthy they were, how powerful they were, how they had it all, they would take these precious jewels that were of great value, and they would put them in wine and vinegar and dissolve them and drink them. It'd be like me taking that $100 million painting and being like, yeah, throw it in the fire. No big deal. I got money to burn. So when these guys would do that, it was saying to the people and to the crowds, like, this is valuable to you, but I've got so much, it's, I'll just drink it. It's no big deal. Pearls were extremely, extremely valuable. And this man has made a living buying and selling pearls. But this one... This one that we read about in Matthew 13, verse 45, it says that this one was of great value. It says that it was of such exquisite beauty that he sells off all of his other inventory, all of the other pearls that he had collected, that he had attained, that he had built his business, that he had built his life around. He's willing to part with all of them. He's willing to sell off and liquidate the entire business. He's not only willing to sell off all of his inventory, he sells off all of his property. He sells off all of his homes, all of his land, all of his livestock, all of it, everything that he has. He says he's willing to part with all of it in order to pay, purchase and attain this one great pearl, this pearl of immeasurable value. I mean, isn't it interesting that he's willing to do that? In other words, he sells off everything in order to attain this one thing. Now, the thing that you didn't do back then and the thing that you don't do nowadays, Dave Ramsey would have wanted to slap this dude. <laughs> Dave Ramsey would have been like, listen, you don't put all of your money into one thing. In other words, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? You call, it's called diversify a little bit. You don't go and just cash it all in and put it right here. Because if that one thing doesn't work out, you're in trouble, right? Dave Ramsey would say, no, you put some money in your stocks, some money in your bonds and some mutual funds, put some money in your 401k, max it out, go put some money in your life insurance policy, put some money in real estate. You want to have a little bit of money in all of these other things and not just put them all in one thing. It's interesting that both of these characters don't do any of that. They put all that they have into this one thing. They see this one thing of such immeasurable value that they're going, nope, I'm going all in. This one thing is of such value. This one thing is so incredible that I'm willing to put it all into that one thing. So this one man in the beginning in verse 44 that finds the treasure, he sells what? He sells everything. What does he sell? Everything. And he buys the one field. The second man sells everything. What does he sell? Everything in order to buy the one pearl. Two men, both very different, but both willing to lose everything in order to gain the greater thing. First principle, if you're taking notes, is this this morning. The kingdom is priceless in value. You see, both parables are designed to teach us the incomparable value of the kingdom of God. And when we say the kingdom of God in these parables, here's what we mean. The kingdom of God in these parables equals salvation. So you can just write in your notes, kingdom of God equals salvation. We're talking about Christ himself 
the priceless gift of salvation. We're talking about the one who came and gave it all on our behalf. Nothing comes close in value. Nothing compares. It is Christ and His kingdom. There is in Christ and in His kingdom, there is a treasure. There's a treasure that is rich beyond comparison. There's a treasure that is rich beyond conception. There's a treasure that is incorruptible, undefiled, unending, and eternal in value. There's a heavenly treasure lying in the field of this poverty-stricken world. It is a treasure that is sufficient to eternally enrich everyone on earth's poor, miserable, bankrupt, and broken lives. Salvation and forgiveness, its love, its joy, its peace, its goodness, its glory in heaven and eternal life, all found in this one thing, all found in the treasure that is Christ alone. It is in Him, in Him alone, that we find the greatest treasure, the treasure of immeasurable value that is worth everything that we have if we will just make the exchange, if we will just make the trade and walk away from the other meaningless stuff and grab hold of that which is the kingdom of God. You see, the treasure in the field is that salvation. The pearl is that salvation. It is equivalent to the kingdom of God. It's what the hymn writer said when he said these words. He said, I found the pearl of greatest price, eternal life so fair. T'was through the Savior's sacrifice I found that jewel rare. You see, the next point is this. The kingdom is hidden. It's a common theme in Matthew that the kingdom of God is hidden and that most people miss it. We see it through these parables and in these stories. The man, that he just found the treasure. He stumbled across it. The other guy went looking for it. He was seeking it. He was searching. He was doing whatever it took to find that one thing. So we know this, that this treasure is hidden. It's not just lying on the surface. The treasure is not obvious to man. The value of the kingdom of heaven, the value of salvation is not viewed by men. They don't see it, although it stands right there and looks them in the eye. The world looks at us, those of us who have found that treasure, and they think we're crazy. They look at us, those who have found the great treasure, those who have found the priceless pearl that are willing to walk away from everything else saying, I'm leaving it all behind, I'm counting the cost, I'm following you, I'm willing to cash it all in, push all the chips in. The world looks at us and says, you have lost your mind. You should never do that. That doesn't make sense. That is ignorant. That is just dumb. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had someone look at you because they see you following after Jesus. But from their view, you're an idiot. The world looks at you and goes, that doesn't make sense. Why would you walk away from a six-figure income to go pursue this thing called the gospel, to go share the gospel with people in other lands? Why would you leave this great career, this great job? Why would you do those things when the world sees you and me and they see those, us doing those things? It just doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't resonate. They don't understand it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2 says it this way, the natural man understands not the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. It also says that the things of God, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who have not found the treasure. It just doesn't make sense. 2 Corinthians 4 says it this way, in their case, those in the world, it says, in their case, the, wor- in the, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So it's hidden. 
It's not apparent. It's not on the surface. Even though the message is here, even though the word is here, they don't see it and they are blind to it. Both of these parables, there is a seeking. There is a pursuit of that treasure when it was found. You see, some people never bother to look beyond the surface. And the treasure is right there all along. They're so busy, they're so distracted by all the shiny objects and all the trinkets and all the toys of this world that lie on the surface that are screaming and fighting for their attention. They're saying, this is what's worth pursuing. This is the real treasure. It's a six-figure income. It's, it's, it's this relationship. It's this house. It's these cars. It's all of this stuff. And let me tell you, according to the Word, all of that stuff is going to fade away. And the only treasure that will remain is the treasure that these two guys found. It's the treasure that many of you in this room have found. But the world does not see it. They can't see it because it is hidden. Here's what an- how another writer puts it according to the Scriptures and according to the treasure that is found in Christ. He says, Under the form of a man, under the privacy and poverty of a Nazarene was the fullness of the Godhead, hidden that day from the wise and prudent of the world, The light was near them, and yet they did not see it. The riches of divine grace were brought to their door, and yet they continued poor and miserable. I mean, it's true, right? I'm sure there have been times in your life, just like there has been mine, where you go and you try to share with your friend or your family or your coworker about this great treasure that you have found, about this great priceless pearl that you have found of immeasurable value. And as you try to talk to them and try to share with them about this treasure, they look at you and they just shake their head. It's like they don't see it. They can't hear it. It's like their eyes have been blinded. Their ears have been clogged, just like we read a few minutes ago. Though they can see, they can't really see. Even though they hear, they don't really hear. Yet if they would see and if they would hear, if they would turn to Jesus, their hearts would be healed and they would be forgiven. But they just don't see it. And it's a sad day. We see the stories all through Scripture like the rich young ruler. Hey, rabbi, teacher, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? How do I get in your kingdom? And Jesus says, hey, you've done it all right except there's this one thing left. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. It wasn't that Jesus wanted him to get rid of all of his money. He just knew that that money is what held his heart. And Jesus says, you can't have me and that because that's God of your life right now. And Jesus continues to just hit home with those things. In fact, in Matthew 7, 14, in regards to this hidden treasure, Matthew 7, 14 says this, that narrow is the way and few find it. Narrow is the way to this treasure. Narrow is this way that enters into the kingdom of God and few find it. Few find it. You see, just the average, run-of-the-mill, superficial approach to life, just grinding your way through, trampling across the path of life day to day with never a thought for anything that's deep or profound or true or of true value is not going to render you truth at all because it's not on the surface. Most people can't see it in their day-to-day grind. They look at you and I and they think we're foolish. There has to come a desire at some point to respond. You see, even in the case of the men, the man in the field who seemed to just stumble upon it, even when he stumbled upon it, then he had to go and do something about it. He had to pursue it. That's why it says that he covered it up and then he ran away to sell off everything that he had in order to purchase that field that, me, that he might have it. 
even though he stumbled upon it, he had to continue to pursue it in order to attain it, in order to get it. He didn't just cover it up and casually walk away and say, well, that was kind of cool. I'm just going to go about the rest of my life doing my thing. No, he says, when he saw the great value of that treasure, that immeasurable treasure, he says that he covered it up and then he ran away and he put forth some work, some effort, everything that he had to do in order to find out, in order to attain, in order to know and to have and to hold that treasure of immeasurable value. He had to pursue it. He had to go after it. He did everything in his power to have it, to get it, to make it his own. Which leads me to my third point this morning. The kingdom is costly. Notice that both of the men in the parables, they gave up everything else in order to possess the treasure. That is the requirement. No conditions, no refusals. But many of us these days, we want the treasure in the field. We want the priceless pearl, but we don't want to give up anything. Did you hear that? Many people say, oh yeah, that'd be great. That sounds awesome. That sounds nice. They want everything, but they don't want to give up anything. In other words, they want their cake and eat it too, right? They want it, I want it my way. I want to do it how I want to do it. I want to be the, the God of my own life. I want to be in control. I want to make the rules. I want to be the one that makes these decisions. I want to determine what's valuable and what's not. And it doesn't work that way. Both of these guys... Give up everything. Listen, don't miss this, New Beginnings. This is so important. The kingdom is made personal by a transaction. Now, hold on a minute. I, I see some of you squirming. Some of you are going, what? hold on, Pastor Daniel, time out. Did you just say that the kingdom of heaven can be bought? Did you just say that salvation could be earned? And the answer is no. So hear me clearly on this. The Bible is very clear on that, and I want you to hear this this morning. The kingdom of heaven... While there is a transaction involved, the kingdom of heaven, salvation that we're talking about today, cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It is told to us very clearly that this, that this is not earned, that it's so that no one can boast, right? That this is the free gift of God that He gives to us through His Son. But make no mistake about it, there is a transaction involved in salvation. And here's what it is. You ready for this? I know some of you are on your seat, on the edge of your seat, wondering what is the transaction that I must have, that I must do in order to attain this great treasure as self, known as salvation. And it's this. You give up all you have, just like these guys. You give up all you have for all he is. That's the exchange. Martin Luther would call it the great exchange. He's saying, listen, you trade all of your brokenness, all of your sin, all of your guilt, and all of your shame, all of your unworthiness, and you get His righteousness, you get His perfection, you get all of His glory for all the, because you trade all that you are for all that He is. That is the price. That is what you have to be willing to do when you come to Him. We've said it week after week. Pastor Todd has stood up here and proclaimed the gospel six weeks in a row, and he let us know there is a great cost involved in following Jesus. It's going to cost you everything. There is a call that you have to respond to. You have to pursue it. You have to do whatever it takes to grab a hold of this great treasure. 
He has boldly proclaimed that truth week after week after week, and this week is no different. Matthew 16, 25 tells us once again very plainly that this is the transaction. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the transaction. You give up all you are, and you receive all he is. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good trade, right? That's a great trade. You take your broken down, messed up life and you trade it for his perfect, holy, amazing life that he offers to you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's a trade of a lifetime. That is you stumbling across a $200 million painting and cashing it in for all of eternity. It makes that look, that makes that painting look like it's worth pennies. The salvation that is offered to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the treasure of immeasurable value. It's the pearl of greatest price that is offered to us through His sacrifice. So let me ask you one more time. Have you found it? Have you stumbled upon it? Have you gone searching for it? Have you looked down it? Have you looked at it and grabbed a hold of it and taken it and said, I'll take it and I'll run with it. I'll take it and I'll run all the way to heaven with it. Because everything I had was not worth anything compared to what I just found. So have you found it? Have you traded all that you have for all that He is? I don't think it's a coincidence that as you wrap up these two little short parables, that Jesus then says this parable to His disciples. Starting in verse 47, He says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and they will separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth you see jesus comes along and he kind of talks about this great treasure this treasure of immeasurable value this price this pearl of greatest price and he says you need to be willing to do whatever it takes to grab a hold of that because it is immeasurable it is eternal it is the only thing that can save you in the end and in the end there's going to be a great divide a great separation of those that are good and those that are evil those that are wicked and those that are righteous those who have found the treasure and grabbed a hold of it and those who walked away from it and he uses this parable as a great illustration. It's called a, the original word for this net was a dragnet. And a dragnet was different from any other net. A dragnet would be anchored to the shore, and then a boat would take this net about a half a mile out to sea. And this net would have heavy weights that would sink all the way to the bottom. So if you imagine the kingdom of heaven like that, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this it reaches far far, far into the future. It is deep. It is wide. It is going to sweep across the sea of humanity. It's going to draw people in. And there's coming a day at the end of the age when all is said and done, where the, shore, the net's going to be drug onto shore, and then the angels of God are going to separate those who found the treasure and those who did not. And they will be cast away from me into eternal flame. So let me ask you this one last time, New Beginnings. Have you found the treasure? Have you grabbed a hold of it? 
Have you walked away from everything else and made that exchange saying, I'll, I'll trade all of me for all of him? Because if you have, you found the treasure of immeasurable value, the pearl of great price, and that is Jesus Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth that we see in your word. Thank you that you are our joy that you are worth walking away from everything, that you are the treasure, that you left heaven and came to this earth to rescue us. Like I said at the beginning of the message this morning, you can tell the value of something by what you're willing to give up for it. God loves each and every one of you and he value you, values you so much that he was willing to give up his one and only son to rescue you and me, to save us from our sins. And so you can see that you are valuable. You are his treasure. You are his joy. He was willing to give up His only Son in order to make a way for you and me. And so I don't know if you realize that that's how much He values you. That's how much He wants a relationship with you. Is that He was willing to give up the thing of greatest value to Him, which was His Son, in order to save you and me. That's it. That is the gospel, the, the treasure of immeasurable worth, is that God sent His only Son so that we who were separated from him might be rescued and saved and brought back into his family. Have you responded to the gospel? Do you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done? He is the treasure of immeasurable value. He's the pearl of greatest price. And eternity is going to depend on what you do with that treasure. So I want to pray for you, New Beginnings. If you're here this morning and you've been coming for the last several weeks, or maybe today's your first day, maybe there's someone in this room or someone watching online that you're like the man in the field today. You didn't plan on it, but you just stumbled onto it. And you finally see it for what it is. You finally see Jesus for who He is and what He's done. I want to encourage you to not walk away, but grab a hold of it. Pursue it. Do everything in your power to get it. He is the great treasure. For those of you that have been reaching out to your friends and, the, and family and co-workers to your one, and they just don't see it, they just don't get it, I want to encourage you today to keep trying. Keep pressing in. Keep having conversations. Keep doing everything in your power to share the love of Christ with them. Because there is coming a day when the net will be drawn and it'll be too late. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I pray right now under the, in, the, in the quietness of this moment that you would give my friends the courage to come forward, to surrender their life to you, to grab a hold of the treasure. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 
888-500-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.